0: It's the third Thursday of the month, and we're Off the Bricks and on the air. You're listening to a poetry podcast from Brick Street Poetry. Welcome, poets and poetry lovers. This is Joyce Brinkman, hosting today for Off the Bricks. Each year, we try to devote a couple of the Off the Bricks podcasts to helping out listeners know more about opportunities for publishing by talking with the staff of other presses to learn about other places besides our Tipton Poetry Journal where they might want to submit their work. Today, we are welcoming Kirsten Miles from Tupelo Press. Kirsten holds a degree from the University of Virginia in environmental sciences and has led a seminar series at UVA in research ethics for a number of years. She founded the Tupelo Press Teen Writing Center in Charlottesville, Virginia supporting teen writers and developing programming for scalable community support for writing as an art for teens. She is the national director of the 3030 project at Tupelo Press and a regional director for Tupelo Press conferences. Kirsten, welcome to Off the Bricks. Let's start out talking about the program where I first came to know you the 3030 project for which you are in the national director. Now, let me just say that you don't judge the poems that people write in the 3030 project. I know from having been in that project that you are there to support us in this effort and you introduce us and our poetry to to followers on your Facebook page. And you even keep up with us uh, afterwards on the alumni page. Uh, so, but basically just kind of give our, our listeners a brief description, if you will, of what the Thirty Thirty project is and how it works.
1: Absolutely. And thank you so much, Joyce, for having me. Um, I, I'm so excited to be able to talk about this 10-year-old program, something that we began with a poet who was trying to break out of writer's block and offered to write a poem a day and motivate herself by raising funds for us. And we shared these rough drafts on uh, what was at the time a blog on our website. And she found it really motivating. She came away with 30 poems. And she said she, she thought it would have been a lot of fun if she'd had companionship. So the next month, January of 2013, we had nine poets sign up behind her. And their poems, their rough drafts were really exciting. And the funding that they raised went into the publication of our books. And that was 10 years ago. And we have not missed a month in all those 10 years of having poets as part of what we consider a poetry incubator, because these are not published poems. These are rough drafts. The titles will change. The poems will change. Some of them will be scavenged and become part of other poems or cannibalized. But they give a really unique perspective to the world where you can actually see writing in its infancy. If you watch a painter, you can see a painting emerge and you can see a piece of pottery emerge and you can hear a piece of music being worked through to its completion, but it's very challenging. You can't look over the shoulder of an author and begin to see a piece of work emerge. If you're very fortunate, and you might be the friend of an author who lets you read their work and and perhaps comment on it or applaud, but this is an opportunity to see writing in its infancy. And it takes a lot of courage from our participants to put their raw unedited work out there. And yet that very courage allows them to take risks with their work. And we encourage that. We encourage them to try forms or to break forms, or to try using the space on the page in a different fashion. I work with the poets who submit poems and we try we try to push the boundaries of what our website will allow us to do and it it's it's been pretty forgiving. It's been very exciting to see where poets who participate take their poems and we actually were so excited we we I guess it was in 2015 I made a list of all the places where poets had published work that was generated in this project. And now that list is up to, I think, 220 different unique journals and lit mags where poets have published work that they began in the 3030 project.
0: Okay. Why don't you tell them how, if somebody is interested in this project, where would they need to go to find out about it and kind of get connected to try to, if they if they wanted to to uh, be part of it?
1: So on our website, tuplopress.org, you can find the 3030 project. And I believe on every page, there is a link to apply to participate. And I do say apply because every now and then I've had a high school student apply or somebody that I know is in a program that makes it really challenging to commit to a poem a day. And so it's a good idea to have a conversation about, you know, how prepared a person is in their stage of writing to write a poem a day. But in general, most people have um, have participated with us. And I think that I try and turn around responses uh, to applications within 24 hours. Sometimes I get really busy and it might take a little bit longer. However, I found the most fabulous community has developed in the um, alumni community, both within the month that people are writing together. And overall, in fact, this is the week of the AWP coming up and we have 30 poets reading for our ninth reading at the AWP um, on an after um, an offsite program at the Seattle Public Library Thursday evening. And it's really fascinating how poets have begun writing with us and then moved on to take positions of editorialship and other literary citizenship and then looked back and welcomed poets to connect in some ways that makes the synergy really powerful and the the talent pool of the alumni group an amazing an amazing resource for everybody who's participating
0: yeah, I do think that was really one of the great things. Again, I appreciated all the support that we got from the Tupelo staff press, but I also appreciated the support that we got from the other participants who were in it. And I always say, I think Americans are kind of stuck on what I call the, the um, um, we have this syndrome where we think we have to... Uh, either look over a cemetery or be out uh, looking overlooking looking upon all by ourselves to be able to write poems. And that poetry community can really make a big difference for you. It truly can. And I must admit, I was surprised th- that um, because I, I don't see myself as a, a terribly disciplined writer, I should be a more disciplined writer than I am. But uh, I definitely stayed disciplined on the, uh, during my 30-30 project. And, you know, there are other projects out there where you do maybe a month's worth of writing or something like that. But at least in my experience, those haven't had the kind of support, you know, you didn't feel that, that same kind of support as a, as a writer as you do with the 30-30 project. Well, how about sharing us, uh, sharing with us a, a poem from someone that has written in the and submitted something in the po- in the thirty thirty project. I think that would help our our listeners to to maybe hear something.
1: Absolutely. So this is a draft that Christina Ernie, who also is um, is from Indiana, wrote during her month, titled "The Mother." I did an unremarkable thing. Blessed the mother who gave birth to me. Opened mouth to say, hushed to no one. Can her chest have held all this, ached, first sliced through the grope of time, her greatest fear, loss of control, knuckled down the throat, fear we would all go. It happens when you've lost, when you've grieved hard. This gift, my unremarkable pardon, was years late, so sorry I didn't know how heavy it was. My eyes, black crows, grown comfortable with judgment, with picking. Sewn up tight, my arms couldn't hold what she'd known. I witnessed some of her life, laid it bare beside my siblings. Her heart, a grindstone.
0: Very nice, very nice.
1: And where is this young lady from in Indiana? Do you
0: know? Uh, I you know
1: I did not pick that up but, okay. um, for this for this interview. I'm sorry about that. Oh, okay. <laughs> but she's a poet, so you can find her. <laughs> yes,
0: I will. I will. De- I will definitely look for her for sure because I don't think I've come across her before. So that's that's nice. A very touching poem. Strong poem too. It, it took some bravery, didn't it, to to put that on the out on the thirty thirty. A project? You think
1: you know? It's absolutely, it's absolutely an act of courage to yeah. share a piece of work before it is, um, before it is finished. And yet, and yet, we have found over the years, and very quickly actually, that often publishers will recommend that their poets that are about to publish a work, a, a, a chapbook or a book, or a book of any sort, whether it's poetry or not, will uh, will write with us. In order to elevate their profile and be more discoverable in advance of the publication of their book. And that is absolutely fine with us because one of the things that we've learned, and we've we've learned as much from the participants of this project as I believe they've learned from us. And that is that being discoverable is an important nod to a publisher that you are willing to do the work of participating in the promotion of your book.
0: Good, good point. Good point. Because I always say, you know, there are a lot of people who want to be authors, but actually if you're going to be successful writing, you have to be a writer first. You have to love to write. You don't just have to want to be an author, but in order to be an author, it takes some marketing skills and it takes getting out there with your work in order to be a success so some people sort of think oh author author you know and in that limelight is a you know an exciting thing but first you've got to love the writing I think and then secondly you just can't depend on the writing being discovered all by itself it doesn't it doesn't always work that way it it takes putting on that uh Marketing cap a little bit, I think, to be able to to be successful. That's a very very good point and and a benefit a benefit to being in the program. Is there anything else you can tell us about this particular poem as to how it might have uh, participating in the the thirty thirty project might have helped this this poet advance?
1: Well, I think what I would say is that each poet in this project advances in such a unique way. And that's one of the lovely things about this project. It's really a a leveling opportunity because you might be writing next to somebody who is a faculty member, who has books already published. You might not have a a book published. You may only have something published in journals and lit mags. Um, I think that, you might be very familiar with, um, with a digital presence with your poetry, or you might not. You might use social media heavily, or you might not. Um, people have been very successful, both in the generation of their poems, and then in the, the, um, the submissions of their poems and, and getting acceptances um, and in their fundraising. But I would say that I have had, I had a poet who just finished writing last month and already has two poems of that month um, taken. And I have a poet who came and wrote a crown of sonnets throughout her month and had them taken as a chapbook. I've had poets who have written because they wanted to generate work, but they weren't necessarily planning on publishing those poems. I've had poets who for their fundraising challenged their community to send them the most tough titles possible and they would write a poem to that effect. And they weren't planning on publishing these, but rather scavenging and cannibalizing them for ideas for poems later. And I've had poems who've approached me just last year publishing their work as cha- a chapbook from 2014 everybody takes a different period of time to edit to revise to decide that these it's the right time to include these poems in a larger work or to put them together in a chapbook and so the thing that's really exciting is that there are a, that the 3030 project to our joy for the benefit of our poets and to our surprise, because we just didn't know this project would 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 last this long and bring so much joy to so many people. But everybody gains from this project in a different way. And now there are so many people who are editors and who are managing their own leadership roles in the poetry community that recognize the project. Mudlark, gives credit to poets taken from the 3030 project as the the incubator for those poems knowing that those poems have you know changed and the titles have changed and the poems have been revised and we take these poems down they don't remain online they aren't part of the Um, of the online canon of work, we take no rights from these poems. We don't consider them to be published. They're rough drafts. They're throwing clay at our website, and we're allowing people to watch poems in the making. You know, another thing,
0: when we were talking before about the importance of, of marketing and how you have to market, actually thinking about it, because when you do participate and you are asking for donations to support the the program, um, you you are learning to market a little bit because you do get to have a website. You guys have a place for us to kind of like develop our own little website where they can come. And, and, uh, and a lot of people have different strategies, like you said, as to how they might uh, raise funds. Uh, and, you know, if you're, again, if you look at poetry as a business, that's something that you need to think about. Because it is going to be important for you to be able to 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 know how to put your stuff out there uh, to the public. You Absolutely. Can't just expect the publisher to do it. It it doesn't work that way.
1: The thing I found really exciting is that, and now we with with the advent of Zoom, we've really really been able to enrich the whole project we have weekly craft talks that they're complementary they're not mandatory of course but we've learned to help people think about how to manage um, a readership and that's really exciting because you're exactly right It, it and and many poems poets have told us that or told me that the the fact that they're fundraising For altruistically, a nonprofit literary organization gives them the courage to share their poems and makes them feel less self-conscious about the potential um, uh, embarrassment or rather self-consciousness about asking somebody to read their work. And it gives them a little more courage to share more broadly and therefore, in casting their net wider, allows them to reach the people who will be their reading audience.
0: Yes, that, that that's great too. Well, you um you also have uh, a journal that you publish quarterly called the Tupelo, uh, Tupelo Quarterly. Um, what, uh, could you tell our listeners a little bit about that publication?
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And that was a really exciting thing for me. We started Tuplo Quarterly um, while I was uh, part of the press. And it's been a real pleasure, an honor to watch the founding of this new LitMag and then to watch how it has become a real opportunity for discovery of creative and innovative work. One of the things I'm really proud of is the editor in chief of Tupelo Quarterly, Christina Marie Darling, is uh, is is a, a true literary citizen, and I think um, under the mentorship of Jeffrey Le- Levine and the um, and the freedom that he's given her to to take the Tupelo Quarterly to new bounds, she's made it a place that accepts literary reviews, which is a really important way for poetry to be discovered. Many times you can see the title or the blurbs of a book, but when you read a review about a book, then you all of a sudden have a sense of how evocative the interior is. And it's, it's a, it's a, really powerful tool of literary citizenship, allowing poets to both be read in a context outside of poetry and to share the work and to give a little window into the book involved. It's been a a, a really beautiful thing to see and discover new people and new friends, new poetry friends and artists in Tupelo Quarterly. And as it happens, one of the poems I've brought to read today is both from Tupelo Quarterly and from a, an alumni of the 3030 project, Naoko Fujimoto, who is a, um, a visual poet. And actually, Tupelo Press published a book of her visual poems, of her collage poems, which are quite stunning. And I've picked one to read today. And I hope that um, I hope that listeners will look up Tupelo Quarterly and, and look up Naoko and um, she has a website and have a look at this work. Grandfather Met a woman, summer 1945. She held an empty bottle and a little red kimono and sat down. He gave her water by a gray fence and kept walking to the hill near Hiroshima. And then bullets rained and the bomb. He found her again, a shred of red cloth. Her bowls and placenta spread under the fence in the ditch. He did not find her unborn child, but smelled her. How beautiful the spring of 1946 was with dandelions and clovers covering fences. Millions of cells divide in amniotic fluid. A new heart pumps in my womb and you ask, do we give it a Japanese or an American name? It does not matter. I will stroke its forehead humming an old lullaby.
0: And then she has this um, all kind of
1: design somehow on the page, right? So the page is actually a collage and the collage includes strips of paper. It's a white background with, with bursts of green and in the folds of the paper are the lines of text and She uses found objects to decorate the page, and those found objects are everything from scraps of paper and candy wrappers. But when you stand back and look, it looks like leaves and vines until you get closer and you see all these ornate things. One looks like a cell, others fruit, flowers, petals, leaves. And they're all made of, and I think there's a little bit of watercolor in there as well. And tiny dots and green um, follow some of the lines. It's it's visually stunning as is everything in her book. So um, Naoko is a Japanese-American and she writes about, and her book is called Glyph, and it covers the, the sensory embellishments of these collage poems that are both graphic and textual and textural and how... The, the texture of the poem and the page complement the actual content of the poem, mm-hmm. which is a really fascinating thing that, that poets are experimenting now with, with including visual and other um, facets that aren't just visually interesting but actually have meaning that complements the content. And in this case, the texture of the page does the same. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I've seen it, but I have not really examined it that much up close. Uh, And I appreciate your your description of it there because uh, it's almost like you see, you you get one picture of it, again, when you kind of step back and look at the whole thing. And then you can kind of delve into it and see so much other stuff, uh, which, you know, sometimes has to do with the way you read poems, too. Sometimes you read a poem and you read it through and you kind of get that one swoosh of of the poem and what it's about and you go back and you read it again and then you kind of see this and see that and uh, and find other kind of interesting things that that you can think about in a poem so I, I can see how in some ways that what she's doing on the page uh is is also kind of like the reader kind of approaches a poem sometime you know I don't know absolutely yeah Okay, Um, how about, I know you you run contests from time to time. So do you have a contest going
1: right now? We absolutely do. And it's one of our favorites, the Berkshire Prize for a first or second book of poetry. The final judge is Julie Carr. And the deadline is April 31st, um, postmark or online submission date. And you can find the contest online uh, under submit on our main website, again, tuplopress.org. And I have been um, just, it's breathtaking to see the kind of work that gets submitted. We're really excited about submissions. It, it seems as though in the last few years, there's there are so many inspirations for poets to write, and the writing has just been, again, breathtaking. We're really excited to read your work.
0: That's great. Anything else you want to leave us with, uh, Kirsten?
1: Absolutely. One of the things that's really exciting about this project is that we have poets who have written with us from around the world, not just in the United States. Sometimes that means poets will write in translation. They will write in their native language and include an English translation. But the thing that's really exciting is that we have thousands of readers of this Blog or this this page of poem drafts every month, and now from around the world, and it's it's very nice to be able to see the the um, the readers. It's also really interesting to see when somebody writes from another country. All of a sudden, the um, the readers from different parts of the world will shift and change, and um, and sometimes linger and sometimes stay. I find that I get comments all year long about how much the poem brightens poems brighten people's lives. And you can also see people write about so many things. I know that there was um a poet who came and spent her month writing about the Radium Girls. But there are poems who come and poets who come and write about what motivates them or inspires them that day. And so often the poems uh, in a month and over the course of a year will reflect things that are happening internationally or nationally or locally in a poet's lives. Um, The diversity of readers and the diversity of writers is really extraordinary. You can on any day look down at the poems that are being written and see poems in so many different voices. It's such a wonderful introduction to to poems. And I think that the, um, the idea of literary citizenship, of supporting small presses, of supporting emergent writers, of providing an opportunity for writers to connect, is one that really seems to be taking off in the poetry world. And we're really excited to be a part of it. And so if you have time, I will read yes, one more poem. Do, do read it. And uh, just so you know, too,
0: that the podcast has our journal and also this podcast has an international audience. So that, that's good that you bring that point up. So, yes, take us out with one more poem.
1: I wanted to, to read a poem by an artist that was writing in this month's 3030 Project, Jana Oquilu. And the poem is A Dream Like Dust. Insistent on living, in possession of life, you cling, just enough for the city. In this place, you are a droplet, a speck, full of stars, tucked beneath gravel, you rumble and trust you are enough. In waiting, you are a seed, a spark of life, clung, carried on a shoelace. A shoe laced with dreams, waiting to take root and rise.
0: That positiveness that you were talking about before really comes out in that
1: poem, doesn't it? Yes. and Absolutely. And that's not true for every poem. There it is, it is not just uh we, we don't just see positive poems, but what we do see is positive positive spirits.
0: Yes, yes. Well, I it just seems to it just seems to flow out of that poem, though. I think uh, an awful lot of positiveness and and with all that we've we in the whole world has been through recently, it's it is awfully nice to to hear that kind of positiveness in a poem, I think. Thank you, Kirsten.
1: nice to thank you so much for this time. Nice to talk with you.
0: Time to pause for a natural moment with a bit of poetry focusing on our non-human world.
2: Today's natural moment poem comes from Maria Hamilton Abegunde entitled Brown Girl in Purple Dress, Running Down Hall number one. A haiku inspired for the toddler at the University of Juba, South Sudan, who says brown girls can't, laugh in the midst of war zones, reshape life with sound. This program would not have been possible without the help of our creators and creatives. Our signature music is composed and performed by Iona Wagner. Generous supporters of Off the Bricks include Indiana Humanities, the Arts Council of Indianapolis, and the City of Indianapolis. We release new episodes of Off the Bricks on the third Thursday of each month, so keep an ear out for us. Thank you for joining us, poets and poetry lovers.
0: Good poetry enriches our day and enlightens us about ourselves and the world. Join us again the third Thursday of the month as we bring you poetry off the bricks.